Welcome to the I Am Podcast. My name is Carl Weaver, and I am the website content manager at I Am. If you have any suggestions for the I Am Podcast, you can email me at carl.weaver at iamovers.org. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Welcome back to the I Am Podcast. I'm joined today by Brian Limperopoulos. Hello, Brian. How are you this morning? I'm doing well, Carl. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. So what we're going to lead off with this time is a discussion that Brian had with Tony Tickner on the port problems. Can you uh, give a quick lead into that, Brian? Yeah, had a great conversation with Tony Tickner, uh, who heads up the BAR, British Association of Removers Overseas Group, about what's going on in the United Kingdom right now with their ports, particularly the port of Felixstowe, and uh, how some of the supply chain issues that we're facing globally are impacting that port and other U- UK ports, as well as the impending uh, Brexit on January 1st. So. Lots to discuss there, and uh, Tony shares a lot of good information, so definitely uh, listen to that. This is Brian Lepropoulos from the International Association of Movers. Today, I am joined uh, uh, joined today by uh, uh, Tony Tickner with the Eurogroup in the United Kingdom. Tony serves on the uh, British Association of Removers, their overseas group, and also is active in the Movers Trading Club there. He is very well positioned to talk about what's going on at the Port of Felixstowe and, and perhaps what IAM members can expect with imports and exports out of the UK over the next few months, not just with the port congestion, but some of the customs issues that are going on uh, connected to Brexit. So, Tony, first, thank you for joining me today. Oh, no, thank you for inviting me, Brian. Happy to give some insight into uh, some of the issues we're seeing here in the UK. So let's get let's get right to it. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of reports about congestion, um, both into and out of Felixstowe. You know, in our prep, you know, discussion for this, you you know that that is you, you describe Felixstowe as the place where almost all imports and exports are coming into the UK. So what is the current situation at the port and? Uh, Talk to us about that. Well, let me just give you a little bit of a, a, a background quickly. Felixstowe is the largest and the busiest port in the UK, handles 4 million TEUs. Um, but we are fortunate that we do have a number of other ports, um, London Gateway, Thames Port, Southampton and Liverpool. Um, we're, we're seeing congestion in all ports, but Felixstowe has got the, the major, major problem. And it's, it's the same as what we're seeing around the rest of the world at the major ports. And that, it, that is, we have a huge imbalance of empty containers that have basically filled up the ports um, and their additional sites that they have close by. Um, and really, this has been created in the UK here by what I call the perfect storm. Um, predominantly, it was kicked off by the pandemic, by COVID. Um, we went into a lockdown back in March um, and our lockdown was a, was a very tight lockdown. It was all the non-essential businesses basically closed their doors. Um, 
And so that's your bike shop, you know, your cafes, your bars, your nightclubs, your theatres. Um, but it wasn't only that, it was your high street shops. Anything that wasn't selling food basically closed. Um, the, you know, and the UK here, it, not only is Felixstowe one of the centre European ports, we also import a lot of stuff. So, so this generated a mass amount of containers coming inbound, but at the same time, we saw nothing going out because manufacturing basically stopped. And uh, this happened very, very early on. We saw the early signs of it as early as August um, back in the summer. We, we're now in the situation of compounding that. Unemployment is still relatively low here. Uh, there's a shortage of staff at the port and the worldwide problem of shortage of container drivers okay. is, uh, is just compounding that situation. Um, we then entered early December a second lockdown. And of course, again, that's compounded the situation. So we've seen mass delays. Um, Felix, though, is feeling the brunt of that. Um, now, what's being done about it? As BAR, we, we belong to a number of also logistics where we're, BAR works very closely with the Road Haulage Association. Uh -huh. And we're lobbying currently, lobbying government to assist in freeing up the congestion. Um, at the same time, under the VAR Overseas Group, under the MTC, um, we deal directly with the lines. So we're talking to the lines um, and, and assisting the lines where we can and, and trying to keep our members ahead of, of what's coming up. The situation is at the moment, it's got that desperately. Um, this week, Honda car manufacturer stopped manufacturing vehicles here. They've got a big plant here in the UK because of the congestions at the port and getting the parts in. Oh, so getting, getting the parts in, it's not that they can't export them out. It's just correct and manufacture them in the yep. first. Huh. So they've stopped making new ones so they don't create even further backlogs. Um, we have another, a few other manufacturers which have, which have done the same. Um, Felix, the latest report from Felix Stowe is, is they think it's starting to, to ease slightly. Okay. Um, but only yesterday, MSC announced on one of the USA late, I, I'm not sure which USA port the, the ship sells from, but instead of calling now at Felix Stowe, it'll call at Liverpool, who's got less congestion. Got it. So we're fortunate enough to have those other ports, but of course it's causing them backlogs because of the additional freight going into them. Uh -huh. So on average, if you had a container coming to Felixstowe or any other port, it would take roughly three to five days to clear. Okay. Uh, you know, the unloading, the, the stevedore services and the clearance process. We're now looking at seven to 10 days. Um, our big problem though, is also compounded that we have the haulage. Here all the ports work on what we call a bio port. Um, so it's very secure ports. You have to give a haulier 72 hours notice to be able to even book a slot on the port to get your container. Wow, 72 hours. Yeah. So, of course, now we've got the problem if clearance from the port and the port authority for the container is taking, you know, seven to ten days. You can only give the haulier notice once you've got that clearance. So, so on, on average, add another three days on. On average, you know, you know, for uh, an import container of household goods, how much free time do you have at the port before the extra fees start kicking in? 
depending on the line and the contract. So, so, yep. so if you look at some of the bigger bookers, they negotiate better free time contracts. Sure. But the average is four to seven days. So you're you're already into these extra fees, um, you right. know, with these delays, and so it sounds like that would take almost every shipment coming into the UK into you know extra fees that you probably haven't quoted your client on. Right. And if you haven't counseled your client really well, you, you have to have that tough conversation with your client. Right. So the way to deal with the client is to be honest with them up front. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's a few notices put out. I mean, personally here, we send them out notices and on the bottom of our email exchange, for our for our FCL handling and import container handling department, we have on there, you know, be aware of severe congestion, port congestion, which could incur additional charges. And if we're honest and upfront with them, we're also pretty good here, uh, and so are most of the companies here, or, or certainly the VAR overseas group members here, are, are very very good. We we're sort of good at prejudging when we should get a release. So, so we're pre-booking the, the crews, we're pre-booking the transport. Um, here we're pretty unique. We rely on the steamship line hauliers to haul the containers. So, you know, we're in their hands a little bit. There's very few private hauliers. So, they're all, they're so all MS, of the lines. So just to use an example, MSC has their own fleet of hauliers. Yeah, they yeah they use subcontractors, but they're, but they're contracted to MSC or to Evergreen or to Maersk, so so they're really answering to. So you have to go through MSC or Maersk system in order to book them in order to move your freight. Correct. Okay. Yeah, so, I think that's a bit different than what we have here in the states. Yeah, your, yours are on the chassis, and you send in the private audios. Yep. Yeah. Here, when, we, when, when we're dealing with the line for the clearance or the port authorities for clearance, we book the haulage through the line for the inbound container. So from your perspective, what would, I guess, move the freight quicker? Um, you know, in any contractual relationship, there's different incentives for people. So do you feel like the shipping lines have the incentives to move the freight, given that they're, they're going to get paid you know, if, even in the event of a delay, they're going to get paid anyway from these, you know, uh, these extra fees. Well, all the ports are privately owned here. So their incentive is to move. They don't want delays. You know, they're paying for the day to, to park their ship along port side. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, so their incentive is not to have congested ports either. So then they lean on the shipping lines in order to get... So get they, them. exactly, exactly. Um, you know, so... So they're leaning on the port authorities here as well, you know, to, to they want a smooth transition. They want good systems for the hauliers to be able to come in, pick up and, and remove out, um, you know, but really it's down to the lines, you know, you know, the lines need to shift the empty containers. And well, and that was going to be my next question. Yeah. It, are, are you seeing, because, you know, at MTC, you guys are dealing with the lines quite regularly. Are you seeing any additional effort from the lines to move these containers to where they need to be, where they can pick up cargo. Because right now there's a huge backlog of cargo in Asia that needs yep. to get shipped out to where um, you know people are, are going to consume those goods and they can't they can't move the goods because there's no empty containers there. So are the lines 
taking any extra effort to do that? I think, I think we're seeing a catch-22 situation where we've got the line, the steamship lines that don't want to run empty containers because obviously that's costing them money. Yep. Um, but at the same time, we've got still a lot of trades globally because of the pandemic that are not up to, are not manufacturing yet to fill those empty containers. Mm, sure. So I think we're going to see this problem probably through to, I think probably the end of the first quarter 21 before we start to see some easing of this congestion problem. And I think that's kind of what our assessment is of what we're seeing here in the States. It's just, it's such a big problem. And, you know, containers are containers. There are boxes of steel. You just can't, uh, you need big machinery to move them. And there's only so many container ships in the world. So you also need a lot of space to store them. <laughs> so, you know, you can see how quickly a port can get congested, you know, whether that be full ones outbound or, or, or empty ones, you know, that have come in and, and been unloaded, you know, so I, I think it's really down, it is down to the steamship lines, really to come up with a plan of what are they going to do? Either they've got to find additional sites to, to store the imbalance, or they've got to, I th personally, they've got to release more of their fleet yeah, you know, and, and open up. But again, we're back to the catch-22 situation. If you're running a steamship line and you've got one part of the globe that is now open more than another part, we're back to, well, we're going to create another imbalance. Exactly. So, you know, I think until we see a time when we see the pandemic numbers in a lot of places reduce and businesses start to open up more, start to get back more up to speed, we're going to be dealing with this issue for quite some time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's going to be uh, here in the States, we have the U.S. Federal Maritime Commission now looking at investigating the shipping lines and the terminal operators yep. for some of these practices. So it's, it's going to be interesting with the prospect of potential enforcement if, you know, at least from the U.S. side, if the shipping lines start to take corrective action to um, solve some of these issues. So we'll have to see how that goes. We're going to be talking that, about that a little bit more next week in, uh, in a session we're holding on the U.S. ports. But, um, I, I, you know, we've talked about from a customer service perspective, how you are counseling your clients, both your trade customers, so other, you know, other IAM members, other companies who are consigning shipments to the U.K., as well as your, you know, your private or corporate customers from a customer service perspective. But from an operational perspective, are you, what different guidance are you giving to these customers about how to maybe avoid Felixstowe? Are you counseling them to go to different UK ports? How is that changing your operational guidance? I think, I think moving companies around the world, you know, when they're shipping into these congested ports, or whether that be Sydney, Felixstowe, here or that, but what they need to be looking at is you may get a $200 cheaper ocean freight rate from that particular line because it's going into Felixstowe. Yeah. But you're going to end up paying £250 mm -hmm. to Maritz charges. 
<laughs> so look at actually is Thamesport or London Gateway or Southampton or, or Liverpool a better option um, and check with your destination agent of what the charges are to operate from those different ports. I'll give you an example. We have one customer who's, who uh, booked uh, uh, an inbound container that we were going to be the DA agent on. Um, and it's scheduled to go through Felixstowe and it's coming here in the county of Suffolk. Well, the line haul for Suffolk is about £450 from Felixstowe. Okay. Um, the line, not the agent, switched it because of the congestion at Felixstowe and the vessel docked in Liverpool. The line haul from Liverpool to Suffolk is £750. So you have that £250 delta. Does now, that you, overcome the extra fees at Felixstowe? Exactly, because we would have run up four to five days rent into marriage. So mm -hmm. it would have still been cheaper. But at the same time, someone's got to pay for that additional line haul. So there's still an initial cost. you know. And it's not the client's fault. It's not the destination fault. And it's not the mover who exported the goods fault either. But of course, it's not the steamship line fault. We all know that they never accept any charges and the end user has to long. So manage the expectations of the client. You, you know, pre-warn them that things are taking a little bit longer, that there may be some detention charge, that we only get a certain amount of time. It's the same as anywhere, you know, it's the same as me sending something into the USA. There's a a finite amount of time that that we have to get a clearance and through the port and to your residence if it goes over that it's going to cost and there could be additional charges well, so it's it, all about expectations of being being open and honest with the client and it sounds like working very closely with your your destination agent to absolutely really get a sense of what the conditions are on the ground where you're importing to yeah I, I, absolutely that, that you know Let's not just work, you know, we, we see it with some forwarders around the world, you know, you know, obviously they're keen to book the job, but, you, you, you know, there's nothing worse at the end of the day than, than getting there and having an upset client because they got hit with a charge or something they weren't expecting. So oh, yeah. be open and honest up the front. Yeah. The, you know. So, so, all right. So we've covered the port situation and it's, I think you, you've shared a lot of good stuff with us. I don't want to leave this conversation without getting your kind of your opinion on, you know, when the Brexit finally executes, when it when it occurs on January 1st, what your assessment and kind of your just general guidance to, you know, the uh, non-UK, you know, importers of household goods, what they can expect, if we can expect anything at all at this point, you know, things are still shifting on the ground, but what, what's your assessment as of this date, December 10th? Okay, well, first of all, what I call rest of the world. So anybody not in the EU? Yeah. Uh, okay, so your Americas, Australia's, your Asia's, your Middle East, shipping to the UK, they will see nothing different. Everything will, will go through the port systems, will go through the clearance systems, will be exactly the same. Okay. What we will see uh, as the UK and what Europeans coming to the UK will see is a, is a whole complete new customs procedure. So basically, if we come out, we're coming out, we are out. There's a misconception that there's a trade deal going on and we have free movement. The UK is 
out of the EU as from the 1st of January. Yep. So when we are out of a thing called the customs union, so basically our borders go back up as do Europe's. So there's a whole transition period going on. The negotiations going on the morning at the moment are about tariffs, if we can have a trade tariff deal, a bit like Canada has with Europe, where, you know, do we charge 10% duty on that product or do we charge zero on that product? That's what the talks are about. Custom clearance will happen um, because there'd be no more free movement of goods between the UK and the rest of Europe. Uh, for UK members, that's a mass amount of adjustment to make um, because everything is going to be done digitally before we could just get in our truck, book a, book a ferry across to France, and we could travel through France to Italy, to Germany, to Belgium, to Holland, um, with no border controls whatsoever, no customs thing. Now we have to have permits. Now we have to have custom clearance. Um, and the same coming back out of Europe, back to the UK. So it's the same for the EU ones. So well, that was a common import pattern uh, was, yeah. you know, the import into the UK with, you know, haulage to wherever it needed to go in the EU. And so these extra costs probably make that less feasible or not feasible at all any longer. I was just doing some costings for an account actually this morning, um, you know, Whereas before, you know, if we move from A to B, and I'll give you an example, UK to Italy, if we move there, we had a fixed cost. Mm. Now we've got, we've got probably three or four different IT systems that we have to register into to book the freight. We've got a customs procedure to do. We've got what we call a transit because we will be going to Italy, but to go to Italy, you have to go through France. We have to travel on what we call a transit document, which is a bond document. That has to be discharged at the other end. So we have to appoint a freight agent to discharge it at the other end with customs. So there's a charge for that. So yeah, everything's gonna go up, unfortunately. So costs for transporting throughout Europe will, will increase. The trouble is none of us 100% know exactly how much those costs are gonna increase till we actually start properly operating it so we might have to get you back on the podcast or on one of our webcasts that's uh, if i survive brexit <laughs> well you've survived two lockdowns tony so uh, I, I i i don't think we can kill you off just yet i think you're a resilient fella i think i think for for the for for the everyday man in the street a man and woman in the street in the uk and in europe we're fed up with the word brexit you know and we just wish the politicians would put their heads together find the simplest route the less painful route and the most cost effective route yeah. so that we can all be happy but you know that's politicians for you isn't it so it is it's a messy <laughs> process well Tony, I, I really appreciate you sharing uh, your wisdom with us today, sharing kind of what you're seeing with this whole situation. Um, yeah, we'd love to have you back on the podcast or on another kind of IAM thing uh, when when some of these situations uh, current, you know, some of these messy situations maybe resolve themselves a little bit more and there's a little bit more certainty. I know 
from an IAM perspective, we're going to want to know what these new customs procedures are so that we can communicate them out to our members. So Absolutely. that will be a good opportunity when things uh, start to solidify themselves. Well, I, I think you will find that over the course of the next few weeks, you know, you know, most of the movers will be writing new procedures. So, you know, anything coming in from the rest of the world, which is going into Europe, coming via the UK, there'll be new procedures. Oh, mm. So we'll certainly be able to update your, you and the membership a lot more fully on these procedures. Well, and the costs that are going to involve. So, and I'll be more than happy to. That would be much appreciated. Thank you again, Tony. And uh, we'll uh, see you again sometime soon. All right. And if we don't speak to you before, I wish you, your family, and all the membership a very Merry Christmas. And same to you. Thanks, Tony. Cheers. That was a great interview, Brian. Uh, what were the big takeaways that you had from it? Yeah, I, I think Tony did a great job of just sharing kind of how all these different pieces fit together, you know, with COVID, what it meant for import flows and export flows and how they ultimately impact the ports. And you can, uh, you know, he's done a good job of kind of walking us through how this situation started and how it was exacerbated by these uh, by these kind of global trade flows. And then now looking ahead to the Brexit, just, you know, what, what, what more can we expect? So definitely a valuable conversation. And it, it's just something that hooks in with, you know, two of the sessions that we highlight this week in the ePortal, Carl, which is, you know, our, our session that we'll be hosting on December 15th. I'm, I'm pleased to moderate that discussion. Uh, on port problems at major US ports, particularly the port of LA Long Beach. Uh, so we'll have Jim Nance, uh, who is uh, with Southwest Port Services and a port agent uh, who operates all over the West Coast and Sheena Kaiser, our YP chair um, from, and she works for Seacor. Uh, and they're gonna kind of give us their insight into what's happening at the ports and what you need to know as an IM member who's moving your client's goods into and out of the US, what you need to do in order to properly counsel them and hopefully maybe avoid the extra delays and fees. And then the next day we're gonna have, next day, uh, we're gonna be straddling the international dateline, right? Um, mm -hmm. We're gonna be hosting a, a IAM Asia Pacific hour. And that's gonna be more of an open forum and we're going to encourage members to kind of join us for just kind of an open discussion about uh, what they're seeing in their region. But we're going to ask some of our members to talk about the specific port congestion issues that they're facing. So, you know, what is the prospect in China where there are no empty containers? Um, what is what's going on in, you know, the port of Sydney, where we've been reporting out that there's major congestion what's happening at other ports around the region. So we encourage anybody who has an interest in these discussions, or if you have employees who have an interest in this, to join us for those discussions. And you can find the links uh, probably in the show notes, Carl, right? And in the ePortal. Absolutely, so, yeah. So great discussion with Tony, and it's, and it's we're gonna keep turning over the rocks on this, uh, this whole port congestion issue. Yeah, so the port congestion uh, talk will be December 15th, 1 p.m. at Eastern Standard Time. 
and the Pacific hour, December 16th, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you're in Asia, it'll all already be December 17th. But again, look in the show notes, look at uh, the ePortal this week, or you can find it on I Am Learning. Yeah, and I think at 11 p.m. Eastern on December 16th, that is probably 11 a.m. in Singapore. It's roughly a 12-hour time difference. So you can kind of adjust from there on December 17th. Mm-hmm. So Brian, uh, I don't think it's news, but we've got some holidays coming up. And I wanted to share that uh, the IAM office will be closed starting on December 24th and we'll reopen January 4th. So are, are you doing anything going anywhere this year? Oh, unfortunately not. Uh, I'm going to be staying home with my my wife and two kids uh trying to load up on holiday cheer as much as we can this year what about you carl i'm gonna stay home and drink eggnog that's my big plan i think we'll all be drinking something this year (laughs) it's been a heck of a year you know seriously we've got uh you know these it's been a hard year but the vaccine's coming out soon i know they're already distributing it in uh in england Uh, so hopefully that's a good sign that and i think that's that's the big vaccine that we're going to get also here in the U.S. So uh, that's a that's a good sign. Um, but I'm hopeful that we'll get more and more and more good stuff happening as the year comes to an end and we go get into the next one. Um, so that's I've got one more piece of news for you, Brian, and that is uh, this is episode 16. Wow of the podcast and uh, it's still so when i signed up to do the podcast it says well what um what episode number is it that was easy because the first one was number one what season is it and i said well i guess it's season one so we i decided i made the executive decision that we're going into season two in uh, the next year so i i don't know if that's like a really complicated mathematical thing to figure out but you know, I, I made the decision. I, I hope you're not going to fire me in front of everybody on the podcast. I, I love season two. You know, season one, you know, we worked out the kinks. We, uh, we, we started just experimenting with the whole podcast. And now what, what I'm so excited about, and Carl, you have a great advertisement in the ePortal, is we want, we want to start hearing from all of you on the podcast. So, Carl, you interviewed Oded Carmi. Uh, a new uh, member of our executive committee. Uh, you interviewed John Burroughs, vice chair of our executive committee. We had a great conversation with Tony Tickner earlier in this discussion. Um, and, and so this is just an outlet for us to hear from our members, what's going on in your region? What do you wanna share with the rest of the IAM uh, membership? It's, it's a valuable way to get your message out there. And we, we wanna, we just want to be a place for you to do that. So season two, here we come. Let's do a lot of member interviews. Let's, let's figure out uh, other, other discussion topics that we can bring to the members. I'm, I'm super excited about it. Right. And something else that's coming up in season two. And in fact, we've got one more episode this, uh, this year and coming out next week. Um, but we're starting to ramp up ad sales for the podcast. We've had some interest in that and, Anybody who's interested in having an ad on the podcast, just let me know. And uh, we'll set you up with the right people and make it happen. You can email me at carl.weaver at iamovers.org. Might be a great way to get yourself on the podcast too. 
Exactly. But we we will interview you if you if you don't advertise, right? We we, we oh, want to hear from people. Yeah. 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 It's just it's it's either a commercial or not a commercial. Editorial right. versus commercial. That's right. Yeah. Well, Brian, uh, the next thing on the podcast is an interview with Nicola Collett as part of our get to know the staff uh, interviews. So hopefully we'll, you'll enjoy that. I know you, I learned a, lo a lot about her. She's, she's really an interesting person to talk to, uh, but generally quiet. So you learn like little bits over time and I hope the members will all enjoy this. Yeah, uh, Nicola's a, a real asset to the whole staff and to the membership. So get to know her and, and Carl, thanks so much for having me on and um, you know, have a Merry Christmas, happy holidays to everybody around the world. Absolutely. Thanks for being with us, Brian. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Carl. I'm talking today with Nicola Collett, who's IAM's Membership Services Coordinator. Thanks for being with me today, Nicola. Sure, no problem. And my computer's making noise already. I apologize about that. <laughs> um, so, Nicola, you're, what, what, does, what do you do in your job? Uh, so... Uh, as the membership services coordinator, I one of the the main thing that I do sort of on a daily basis is I I monitor the uh, the membership email inbox, and so I'm I'm sort of the the first line of defense uh, fielding uh, any any inquiries or or basically any member communications, um, you know, helping helping people with you know, updates to their listing in our directory or questions about what we have to offer them or anything like that. So you're the first person people talk to whenever they reach out to the membership team. That's awesome. Most of the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you've been with us for, I just looked on your LinkedIn profile, going on five years. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be five years next year. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so Going back, let's learn learn about a little bit about Nicola here. What, what was your first job? Um, so my first job was actually um, as a uh, I, I don't remember I don't remember if I even knew what it was what I was called, but I uh, I basically drove around going. This was this was when I was in high school, under eighteen going around to convenience stores, uh, trying to buy cigarettes <laughs> to, to I, you know, not, not working with the police, but working with a, with a compliance company that, so it, that employed by the, by the convenience stores themselves to basically go in and, you know, make sure that their employees were, you know, doing what they were supposed to do and not selling cigarettes to minors. Wow. So, so you must've been what, 16 or 17. Yeah. Like how did that work? I mean, did it, did you find that a lot of them were compliant? Mostly, yeah. I, I probably successfully bought cigarettes less than half a dozen times. I, my favorite was the time when, you know, sometimes they just look at your ID. Sometimes they don't ask for it at all. Sometimes, you know, whatever. But there was one time when the person asked for my ID, scanned it with the, you know, fancy ID scanner he had, and still sold me cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> so everything, so maybe that technology didn't work or yeah, who, I don't who know. knows. Yeah, that reminds me, I, I, uh, I was at dinner once at a Red Lobster, very classy place there. 
And, uh, and I ordered a beer. I was 20, 19 or 20 years old. And the guy says, do I need to check your ID? And I told him no. And I got the beer. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I mean, that's, that's you know, by, buying a beer with a meal at a restaurant is, you know, that I know that's legal in, in the UK under the, the sort of other drinking laws. Yeah. It's, yeah, I guess perhaps maybe, a more civilized way to do it. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't at Seven uh, Eleven trying to buy Four Loco or something. So right. Yeah, that's an interesting first job. Uh, did you learn what did you learn at that job that you've taken with you through the years? Um, I, I mean, I guess. You know, sometimes when you when you walk up and ask for something with confidence, even if you're not supposed to have it, people will give it to you. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that is a good lesson. You know, confidence and how you carry yourself, and that probably played into uh, this is the next thing. You know, you're one of the people at IAM. There are a few of us who have interesting alternate careers. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, what you're just describing there, I think, feeds in well to your. Uh, acting in dramatic pursuits. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, sort of looking back, I can, you know, I, I definitely approached that job as an actor. I would like, you know, sort of, okay, how do I, how do I dress to look like I'm over 18? How do I? <laughs> yeah. I, maybe I, have, I have a bit of a cold. Maybe if I sort of cough and I'm raspy, they will believe that I smoke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember when I was in high school, we actually had a, um, we had a smoking area, a designated smoking area in high school. And you weren't supposed to go there if you weren't, you know, of age to smoke, but it was North Carolina, you know, it was tobacco yeah. country. So no one really enforced it. Uh -huh. But, you know, speaking of your, uh, your, um, your dramatic background, are you, so you studied in college, you studied drama and fine arts and stuff like this? Yeah, well, uh, in for undergrad, uh, my my degree was actually in it was medieval and Renaissance studies, um, and the the acting was less less academic, more extracurricular. But then I I also I went on to get um, a, a master's degree in Shakespeare and performance. And in fact, it's not you have two master's degrees. You have an MFA. I do, and a Master of Letters, which is one of those things. No one offers anywhere in the U.S., but you figured out how to get it. Nope. Yep. So, so what is the MLIT degree? What does that entail uh, as opposed to your MFA? So, I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if there are other MLIT degrees uh, elsewhere or whether <laughs> what they would entail. But but this program, so the MLIT was, is a two-year program, and it is more academic focused All it was right. more there was you know there was some some performance component because it's a it's a Shakespeare performance degree um but but it was more focused on you know research and writing and and the academic side whereas the the MFA um for this program for the MFA we my my class formed a theater company and basically operated as a theater company for a year, um, so that the the MFA is much more much more on the practical side, much more performance focused. So you got to learn. The MLIT is the academic. That makes sense. 
So you got to learn in that and the MFA experience all about like all the various different ways of how a, a, um, a theater would, would operate, like from mm -hmm. probably a business standpoint and also a uh, you know, recruiting actors and putting out you know, production and all that stuff. Yep, yep, all of those. Yeah, so are you in, I know you've done a number of uh, things up here in the DC area. Are you working mm -hmm. on any productions right now? I am not. There's uh, not a lot of theater going on right now. Oh, of course. Yeah, we're in, <laughs> we're in times when people can't do that. Yeah. Yep. And I mean, I definitely, you know, I, I have friends, you know, in the industry who are, you know, doing various Zoom productions of things. And it's, I, that's the sort of thing that I think is, is very sort of your mileage may vary. It it hasn't uh, particularly appealed to me to get terribly involved in in you know doing Zoom readings. Yeah. Just, yeah. It's I, not I can, the same. Exactly. Yeah. Well, especially if you're into acting, like I know you've done uh, not just acting but also stage uh, uh, battle. Like I can't think of the mm -hmm. right term. Um, stage combat. Stage combat. Thanks. Yeah. And you've done probably dance, and you've done you know, stuff that's, it's very, um, very kinetic as yeah. opposed to just sitting and reading. Yeah. So I, I can and imagine. I mean, also with a, you know, in a Zoom reading, you've got, you're interacting with your, with your fellow readers to some extent, but you don't have the, the presence of the audience to feed you that energy. And it's just really not the same thing. Well, that's too bad. Well, let's hope to an end to all this so you can get back out on the stage because I know we're all dying to see you. Hmm. So, speaking, so ready for it to be over. <laughs> I know. But speaking of that, what what are what's one big goal you have for 2021? I don't know. Uh, it's been, you know, so much focus on just sort of getting through one day at a time. Yeah. I mean, probably mostly just, you know, being able to spend more time with my family. Um, I have two young nephews um, who I have I've managed to, to find time, find a way to, to make a couple of safe visits up to them this year, but it's one of, ho hopefully with, with the vaccine coming and everything, hopefully it'll be possible to go and, and visit them some more. That'll be great, yeah. It's something I look forward to as well as visiting, visiting my family, not yours. You know. <laughs> I'm sure they're nice people too, but they're not on my list. I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> uh, what would you say is your superpower strength? Um, being happy. It's, you know, I, I don't know. It's even even when when everything's sort of terrible, you know, I'm, I'm aware of what's happening and it's all, it's all there, but like, I, I'm somehow I'm able to just sort of live in the moment and be like, yes, I am, I am content with, with where I am. So I, I think that's, that's my superpower. Uh, it sure is super. I mean, you know, a lot of people can't get there. It's tough. You know, yeah. Yeah. Especially if you can maintain that, what is this, December? I don't know what mm -hmm. month. It's like time's a social construct. Like, I don't know what it is anymore. 
But yep. I mean, if you can maintain that sort of great attitude, you know, this, this far into the year, it's incredible. Um, so I asked you to uh, prepare two truths and a lie for me. This is the part of the interview we're going to call stump the chump. You're going to tell me <laughs> two truths and a lie and I'll be the chump and you'll try to stump me on it. And uh, but will you play the car guys like <laughs> intro music? <laughs> I love that. What are they? Uh, click and clack the Tappet brothers. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. I like them a lot. Um, yeah. So I, I wish it, I actually speaking of them, if you all don't know, was that, that that's sort of what they called themselves, but I can't remember the name of their show. Uh, Car Talk. Car Talk, yeah. I heard a doctor come on Car Talk once and say, I learned so much about diagnosis through listening to you guys. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah, great show. I really miss that. Yeah. All right, so hit me. All right. Uh, so as well as singing, I play six instruments. Huh. Um, I spent a year touring Europe with a world music group after college, and my family got our first pony when I was five. <laughs> All right. Well, okay, so I'm going to walk through my reasoning with this, and you're going to be harder than Steve and Jamila on this. There's, <laughs> you know, very easy to beat them. So I know you did a year in Europe because you mentioned that uh, to me before, or you went to Europe anyway. Um, so I'm going to say that's true. Yeah, playing six instruments, I would not be surprised at all because you're like one of these talented people who can do many things. You, you probably speak a lot of languages too, right? Not really. I, yeah. I'm good at pronouncing a lot of languages because I'm a singer, but... Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> So, well, so we got six instruments and your family got a pony at five. That's just uh, when you're five. That's that's weird enough to be believable. And I know you <laughs> live in upstate or you're from upstate New York where people have ponies and horses and stuff. So that's definitely believable. I'm going to say you do not play six instruments. You are incorrect. Oh, darn it. I I, I, I tricked you with a with a, a, a half truth. Um, I, I only traveled for three months with or, or yeah the, with the the world music group after college. Yeah, um, I was I was thinking that because oh yeah okay. So that was three months. I don't know why I'm making a note that Nicholas <laughs> spent three months in Europe after college. Cool. Well, that was a good one. Now, what instruments do you play? So I, I, I confess that this is a, um, my, my definition of play is I either like have played in a band or have played well enough that I played it in a show on stage. So I play, <laughs> I can play the French horn, the recorder, the trumpet, the guitar, the piano, and the mountain dulcimer. Uh, is that the hammered dulcimer? No. The, this is the it's a it's a three string instrument that is it's sort of one that I play on is just it's basically just a box with three strings on top mm -hmm. and you you sort of create the chords with one hand and strum with the other oh okay yeah I knew there there's a couple different uh, types of dulcimers I love them both mm -hmm. so you said uh, you played the recorder 
is that your favorite favorite of the six instruments to play? Uh, I mean, I think it's in a lot of ways the easiest. Yeah. But I don't know. And how big do you own a recorder right now? I do. Is it like one of those little ones they get, like the plastic ones that give uh, third graders, or is it like one of these giant ones that you play in, in an orchestra? I do not have a, I don't have a, a bass recorder. I, I just, I, I do have a, a, it's a like see-through purple plastic recorder, <laughs> standard soprano recorder. Um, my father has, you know, he's got, he's got a regular soprano recorder. He's got an alto recorder. I think he's got a tenor recorder and he's got a baritone recorder that is like this big and, and like, it's got an optional mouthpiece that you play it with. And it's just like, Wow. That's a, a, a proper instrument. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that sounds fancier than like $7.99 on eBay or something. Hey, yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's really interesting. Well, I, I'm glad you, I'm glad someone finally uh, stumped me. I'm two and one now. So hey. I feel, I feel good about my, my, uh, uh, my advance, but I uh, feel bad about not having beaten you, but well, maybe we'll we'll match again. You can stump me again sometime. Sounds good. But uh, well, Nicola, thank you for taking the time to be with us, and I'm glad that our members could learn a little uh, more about you. And uh, you know, if the if the members do need anything, and you s send an email to membership at iamovers.org, you will probably hear back from Nicola first. At least ask yep. some uh, some questions, or or maybe just help you out because you provided enough detail the first time so <laughs> thank you so much nicola and i appreciate yeah, your time glad today. to be here All right, thanks we'll talk to you soon i followed up with nicola and the pony's name was dusty he was a tiny old shetland and the family had him for about four years we want to hear from you you can leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash ia movers slash message I will also put the link in the show notes so you can click on it right there. Please subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify. Thank you for listening to the IAM Podcast. If there's ever anything you need from IAM, you can contact us at membership at iamovers.org or contact us by going to the contact us page on the IAM website at iamovers.org. Thank you for joining us and we will talk to you next time.